Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Thanks, Doug, for leading us in this season and this time, and thank you for for playing behind my prayer. I appreciate that a great deal. We have talked about school, and one of the things I just want to remind you about that I'm really excited over, and that is our opportunity to just do some ministry and have some opportunities that are... Um, that, that really meet a need. And one of those is, is just for our kids to be able, especially our high school kids, to, to be able to connect with some of their friends, uh, knowing that the way that the Springfield School District's working, there's, an oppor- there's a chance that some kids will never see uh, their friends based on the, the letters of their last name. And so one of the things we're doing to just address those issues and address the issues of maybe parents trying to figure out what to do with their kids and where to keep them in a safe environment. Uh, uh, one day a week on Wednesdays, we're having what we call our, our school at Northbridge, our Wednesday school at Northbridge. Uh, if you have kids, connect, connect to Melissa over that. And uh, we're, we have room right now for 10 students to join us. And, and matter of fact, I just was reminded earlier, just so you know, this is truly going to be them logging in. They need to bring their computer. They need to bring their earbuds to, to uh, be able to listen. Um, this is not going to be just an extended youth activity where we're playing games and running around the church and running around our property or anything like this. No, they need to be engaged and logged in uh, and watching their classes and connecting um, so, uh, so that, uh, you know, school is happening. Uh, right now we have capacity for 10. We're, we're basically making it, starting out small so that we understand what we're doing and figure that out. And, and our hope is that if that's meeting a need, we can grow that larger by moving that classroom into this room on Wednesdays. And we're open to that, but we first want to make sure we know what we're doing before we, before we bite off more than we can chew. Uh, so be aware of that. Be thinking about that as that starts up this week. Also, too, uh, one of the things that I want you to be aware of is our GIC weekend. That stands for our Global Impact Conference. It's a chance that we get together. It's a time that we get together. We, we, take, we take time uh, out of our schedule to connect every two years with missionaries from across the world. And this year we've invited missionaries from from Asia, and we've invited missionaries from Africa, serving in Africa, South America, missionary family in the Mideast that is here right now, and they'll be headed back to, to their country of Tajikistan and working and serving there. We have missionaries who work by going and delivering toys to children in reservations and in Indian reservations in the uh, Southwest and even in the Northwest, and uh, be bringing those people in. Here's, here's my heart. I, I don't want to oversell something to you, you know, because I realize that every time you hear the church say, this will change your life, and you hear that 25 times in a year, then you just, you just tune us out, you know. And uh, truth be told, it was one of these GIC conferences the docs were at some 20 years ago, right, uh, that they were at, and John heard a call to preach uh, the gospel, and he heard a call to come into ministry. So, you know, truth be told is there could be some big changes in some people's lives. Uh, we've had opportunity where some, some of our people are missionaries in other 
parts of the world now, and they were first impacted by meeting and hearing missionaries here. So yeah, there are those opportunities, but I tell you what it does for me. When I go and, uh, and just spend a weekend with some of these missionaries and hear their stories and recognize that these are people just like me and you, one of the things it does is it really encourages me. You know, I, being in the faith game here in America, it can be discouraging, you know. Uh, every year it seems we slip a little further and a little further from the, the things of God. We become a little bit more irreligious every year. And Golly, for pastors, talk about frustrating and discouraging. And then when I hear about countries like China, and when we're in our GIC, you won't hear me say the word China. You'll hear us use words, very broad words, like Southeast Asia, right? But I can say China right now, and that China is a despotic country. It's a country that is heavy-handed and authoritarian, and for whatever reason, they are threatened by Christians. They are threatened by the church, and they put their thumb on the church Hardcore, it is known that if you are a Christ follower, you will spend time in jail in China. And it's so encouraging when I understand and hear that there is such a great revival in China that right now the Chinese church is larger than the American church. That encourages me. That it, it blows me away to think that, that God can do incredible works where people know that they will. When they say yes to King Jesus, they are probably signing their death sentence. I can't help but be encouraged by that kind of faith, and it impacts me when I hear about that kind of faith and when I'm challenged with that kind of faith. And, and you know, I, I just find myself, being around these people, encouraged. The second thing I find myself, I find myself challenged because one of the things we work very hard to make our GIC where we try to get our missionaries that, that come and join us to just be there amongst us, talking to us, and, and just getting connected to us. And one of the things we discover very quickly is these people are flesh and blood, just like you and I. They're not super saints. Many of them are, uh, that we've met in the past are farmers or they're, they're workers in their trade, their craft, and just you know going about doing their thing, a teacher, an educator, just doing their thing, and the Lord calls them to work in a foreign country. And so they go, and, and they're people just like you and I. They're not super saints. They're not perfect. They're not just one level below Jesus. And they have fears, and they have frustrations just like you and I do. They have struggles just like you and I do. And you know, it challenges me. But I hear that because I sit back and go, if that person who is broken can respond to King Jesus in that capacity, what's my excuse? What's my excuse? You know, and, and so I would just say to you, we'll have, just keeping it very simple, we'll have three very distinct opportunities on the weekend of October 2 through 4. On October 2, which is a Friday night, we normally are used to having a dinner. We're not going to do a dinner, so come having eaten already, okay? We're planning our event at 7 o'clock. Join us at 7. We'll have three breakout sessions where missionaries will be divided, will be in different parts of our facility, and you will have a chance to just hear their story for 30 minutes, uh, and you'll have that opportunity to do that three times. Three 30-minute sessions where you'll go sit down with a missionary and just hear from them, and they'll tell you about what life is like in their world and what they are doing. It'll be a great time. It'll be a challenge time. There'll be something for our kids, and there'll be a nursery available for us as well. So you'll want to be a part of that. And then on Saturday, we'll gather again at 7 o'clock here, in which 
we've heard about their ministries, but we haven't necessarily heard from them personally. And during that time, we will just have a prayer time for our missionaries. Where we're not praying for their people, we're not praying for their ministries, we're not praying for their causes, but we're just saying, what's going on in your life and how can we pray for you? Uh, every year I will get feedback from our missionaries where they will tell us, there'll be one or two that will say, you know what, that event, that experience possibly saved my ministry because I was on burnout and I was in, there was one several, uh, four years ago that uh, shared with me a couple of months after the fact, said, you know, I had my resignation letter written and I was going to submit it to the International Mission Board, the IMB. I was going to submit it this season. I was not going back. And uh, the care and the support that I received from, from Northbridge Church and specifically the prayers that I received, really, I saw God answer. I saw God move in a powerful way and, and it allowed me to be able to deal with the situation and go back into the field again. So that'll be a time that will be a good, it'll be a good experience for you. I invite you to be a part of that. We'll start at seven uh, and then we'll go for an hour, hour and 15 minutes-ish. Minutes -ish. Uh, so you wanna be a part of that. And then of course on Sunday, we'll come back together during our normal time here on Sunday morning. We'll worship together. We'll be challenged and, and specifically, I'll be asking for your feedback. I'll be asking you if we, we, for, we commit every two years to praying for missionaries, to giving to our go, going global fund that goes towards mission causes across the world. Uh, and, and, and we challenge ourselves and ask the question, how are we to go? How are we to go in the world around us? And going might look very different this year than it ever has before. It might not be us taking a short-term short mission trip to another country for two weeks or going to another state for a week. It might be figuring out if, as we are going throughout our work day, as we are going throughout our normal life, how do we uh, engage and be people who will stand in the gap for those who can't or won't? And uh, we'll challenge ourselves, and, and I'll ask for your feedback about those areas uh, and we'll celebrate our time together on that Sunday. So I invite you to be a part of one of those events. I invite you to be a part of all of those events. It would be something powerful for you, okay? Uh, I want you to be aware of that. Now, I invite you to turn to uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read uh, four through thir uh, four, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. We're going to read it through all the way. Uh, sitting down. Uh, you know, we're not going to stand. Sometimes we have the tradition of standing in honor of God's Word, but I'm asking you to sit down because I'm asking you to maybe have a, a pen in your hand, or if you don't have a pen in your hand, have a mental pen in your brain. And you're going to be scouring this passage with me uh, as you're looking for a verse that might very specifically apply to something you've dealt with this past week, or a verse that could potentially be something that you you know that what you're headed to into this, this coming week, it might be a verse that will speak into that, that, that uh, thing that you'll be dealing with this week. Uh, so be thinking and kind of just scouring this passage as I read it, saying, what is a passage here? What is some words that God might have for me? Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Help 
these women. Men, insert your own joke here uh, at that point. He, Paul continues to write, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, the scripture says. So, I ask you, you know, do you have your verse? Have, is there a verse that stood out to you? Is there a verse that comes to mind? Is there a verse that you find yourself needing to circle? Because perhaps you need to take that and you need to either, if you have you version on your phone, you need to highlight it so you can go back to that verse because there will be seasons potentially this week where you're going to be dealing with something specifically in this word, this passage, this verse is going to come to mind and it's going to help you work through those traumas, work through those difficulties in a way far better than just your own wisdom, just your own understanding, and just your own reasoning. Uh, if you don't have a word, then I would ask you, I would implore you that tonight to go back, open up your copy of Scripture, whether it's a hard copy like, like this Bible, or you have a U version or some online version, go to your Scripture online and, uh, and look at this passage again with the, with the glasses on, uh, the spectacles on of you saying, God, would you speak into this passage and make it apply Help me to apply this to my life today and find a verse that you can take this week uh, because no doubt there will be opportunity and there will be occasion for you to, uh, to put God's word, allow God's word to speak into your life. Okay? So now what I want to do is I want to preach through this passage. And here it's 11.06 according to the watch. My goal is, and I did accomplish it in the first hour. I believe I can accomplish it in the second hour. I will preach the fastest message you've ever heard me preach. Okay? We're going to work through systematically verses 1 through 13 here quickly. So let's start off. And first of all, verse 1 we see uh, Paul saying, Therefore, my brothers... Or in some translations, my brothers and sisters. Well, one of the things, if you've been around here for a while, you know that when I interpret Scripture, when I, st I stop very quickly when I see the word therefore, because I've been trained that whenever there's a therefore written down, you need to ask the question, what's it 
Therefore, thank you very much. That's absolutely right. What's it there for? So what we see is in, in the first three chapters of Philippians, Paul is, is saying, hey, I have joy. I have hope. I have peace. Those are mine in Christ. Even though I am in prison, I'm shackled, I'm chained, and I know that very shortly I will put my head down on an executioner's block and it will be separated. My head will be removed from my body via an executioner's sword or axe, and that's okay. I still have joy in Christ. Therefore, do these things. What Paul is saying is because, because of the joy and the hope and the peace that we have in Christ, we can live life differently. We can approach life's problems differently than you can apart from Christ. And so we see the therefore being there for the reason. He is summing up how the gospel impacts not just your spiritual life, not just your theological life, not just what you do on Sundays. You see, there's people that believe that when you say yes to King Jesus, it should only impact what happens on Sunday morning. There are elements in our community that say you can believe what you, can be, what you want to believe. That's fine. No one's telling you what to believe about, about things in society or social issues, just so long as you keep them in the church. So long as you believe those things on Sunday morning and you keep them in the four walls, we're fine. But don't you dare bring your faith out into the workplace. Don't you dare bring your uh, faith out into how you vote. Don't you dare bring your faith out into civic organizations or into, oh, by all means, public schools. Don't you dare do that. Because if you do that, you're stepping over a bounds. And Paul would say just the opposite. He would say, because the gospel is in our lives, it impacts not just is where we're going to reside one day in eternity, but it impacts every action we take. It impacts every thought that we make. It impacts every word that we say. It impacts every deed that we do. Everything, everything, everything changes because of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is a simple message that you and I are hopelessly broken. You and I are sinners in the hands of an angry God. You and I, we, have, we are rule breakers and law breakers. We have rebelled from a loving, uh, potent, all potent God. And because of that, we deserve hell. Because of that, we deserve what any rebel deserves, what every lawbreaker deserves. And that is to be cast aside, cast away from a loving God. But the gospel declares that God is justice and God is love. And because of that, he provides a way out. He provided his son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth, live on this earth, die on this earth, on the cross, a broken man, bloodied and beaten and scorned by all. He was put in a tomb. He was laid in a tomb that he couldn't even pay for himself. Dead, dead, dead. And the scripture records that three days later comes crashing out of that tomb with all power and all authority in his hand. And by that truth, we are made whole. By that truth, we are made right with God. By that truth, he begins a step-by-step -step process of changing us from the inside out, making us a different people, a people like his son. That's the gospel. And that gospel impacts, is meant to impact every phase of our life. Paul goes on in verses 1 through 7, and he mentions, he says, he says in these verses that because if I were to define them, if I were in a seminary class, I would say these passages should be underlined with the idea that because of sin, we are at war with each other. Because of sin, we are at war with ourselves. 
Because of sin, we are at war with life circumstances in our life. And he goes on and enumerates it. In verses 2 and 3, what does he talk about? He brings two women up under the guise of the Holy Spirit. He names two women. He, he outs two women in the church of Philippi who are at war with one another. They're fighting with each other. I don't know what they were fighting about, but it was bad enough for Paul to have to mention it to the point of where 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this church fight. Some of you have come from different churches and, and you've been around church battles about color of carpet or color of curtains or what kind of coffee gets used or do we give our money to this mission cause or that mission cause. You've been in some church fights, but I don't think you've been in a church fight that was so big and so bold that 2,000 years later people are going to still be talking about it. So in that regard, I guess you can be encouraged, right? Paul's saying, hey, these women, these women, it was so bad, the fight was so bad, he asked the person who he's sending this letter to, would you help them? Would you help them? And we know some things about these women. We know that they partnered with Paul. They were with him in ministry. Paul clearly says that these two women have their names written in the book of life, meaning they are Christians. You know, we're, these are not wolves that got there, that ferreted their way into the church, that figured out how to come and deceive the people. These are Christ followers, and yet this war is so ugly. Paul, he, Paul think about this. Think about this. Paul's about ready to die. And this war is ugly enough that Paul said, let's, let's quit talking about my problems for a minute. And you, your church, you need help right now. Let's deal with this issue. Think about how bad that must have been, right? What's Paul trying to say? He's trying to say, hey, even in the midst of having the gospel in our lives, that because of our sin, because of our brokenness, we are at war with one another at times. And there's times where you just, that, that, that these two women, they just hated one another. And Paul said, get them some help and remind them of who they are. We see in verses 4 and 5, Paul's describing depression. He's dealing, he's saying, hey, the, 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 matter, the fact of the matter is, we are at war with ourselves. And it causes that war with ourselves. What's the natural outcome of that? Is a depressed mentality, a depressed lifestyle where we just allow depression, this malaise to take over our lives. Why? Because of sin. We're at war with, with ourselves. And then he goes on in verses 6 and 7, and it talks about he's challenging us not to be anxious. Why? Because there's anxiety. There's anxiety abounding in the church of Philippi because we're at war with the world around us. We're at war with our life circumstances. And what does it do? It just naturally causes anxiety to, uh, to multiply in our lives and just overwhelm us. So we see in verses 1 through 7 that Paul is sharing about the fact that we're at war with all of these things. And then he goes on in verses 8 through 13. If I were to define this passage, I'd say that Paul is delivering the antidote. How to deal with the war that we find ourselves in. In verse 8, he replies, he responds by writing, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, let's be very clear here. Paul is not saying... Figure out what your art is. You know, whatever beautiful artwork that you can find, go to that museum and just think about that. Paul is not calling for, hey, figure out some form of music, some form of musical expression that really ah, brings you at peace and just dwell on that. Paul's not saying, hey, go to, go to some national park 
You know, to look at the mountains or look at a stream or look at a lake and just something that brings peace in your life and and just think on that. No, he's not saying that. What he's describing here, he is very careful in using the words and what he's describing is the gospel. He's saying that the gospel, it's the gospel that is whole. It's the gospel that is pure. It's the, the gospel is commendable. It's lovely. It's excellent. He's saying the gospel is worthy of all praise. And he's saying, think about the gospel. So what's one of the things that we need to do to meditate when we find ourselves at war with people around us, at war with ourselves, at war with our circumstances? Paul's answer is meditate upon the gospel. Now, I understand the word meditate might throw a few of us and we go, well, I don't know about that. I don't know what to do with that word. What I'm trying to do is I'm asking the question, how do you bring more of God into your life? How do you help so that the time that you're taking in God's word into your life, the time that you're praying to God is not just one day a week at Sunday. And let's face it, the way we do church patterns now in modern day America is not every Sunday because Lord knows we have vacation we have to go to. And Lord knows there's trips we have to take. And so the reality is, is for most Americans, that Sunday experience turns into an experience that happens about 25 times a year. And so for you, if you're sitting there going, 25 times a year, I'm going to put a little bit of God into my life. And then you find yourself overwhelmed through most of your life. Of course, of course, because life you're dealing with 365 times a day, a year, right? You're dealing with it all day long. And if your antidote is to get an infusion every, every two or three weeks, or, or if you're faithful, then once a week, that is not enough friends. So you have to figure out, you have to meditate on how do you get more of God into your life when you're not together, when we're not here and the preacher isn't preaching at you, right? We got to figure out how do we invite God's word to come and flow through us and in us on a day by day moment. How do we figure out how to lean upon the principles of holy God daily, moment by moment? That's what Paul is telling us to do. And he goes on in verse 10, and he tells us to rejoice. Verse 10, he writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. I rejoice in the Lord greatly in you. He, he's finding a reason to rejoice. Why? Why is Paul rejoicing? Because God is with him. Why do we rejoice? Because God is with us. He is our trust and he is our treasure. He is all that we need. And then verse 12, Paul answers the question, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What's Paul saying? He's saying, hey, you want to deal with this war that you're fighting? Learn to be content. Learn to be content. Why? Because God is enough. God is enough in whatever circumstance you are. You see, that is radical to us because for many of us, we think in order to have enough, we need more money. How much money is enough? Well, more. We need bigger homes. If I had a thousand square foot additional in my house, that would be enough. We need more experiences. If I had one more vacation, if I could go to one more exotic locale, that would be enough. But Paul is saying, no, no, things and treasures and materials and power and people's, people's respect and love for you, those things are not what you need. You need God. And then you will be content. Why? Because he is our trust and he is our treasure. 
11, 18. What time do we start, Dave? What time do we start? What time did I read? 11.06. So in 12 minutes, I got the sermon done. Pretty good job, I thought. So there you go. Now, here's a question I have for you. We hit this fast. We hit it furious. Paul talked about three areas of life. He talked about anxiety. He talked about depression. He talked about relational strife. Now, we have some more time to burn. Okay, and I, 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 I could tell our, you know, I, I, Dave, I'm, I'm nervous to do this, but you know, online people, you could tune out right now. You could tune out, but, but you will, uh, you'll miss a great song at the end, so you might want to stay on. Uh, you'll miss Pastor John. I'm going to set you up, John, for Pastor John. The things he says at the end, absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. His final announcements. You'll want to be a part of that. Right. Talk about, you know, lying about, you know, the setting people up. You did a nice job, John, but, you know, it wasn't life changing, uh, you know. And for the record, neither is this talk, I'm sure. I'm sure this talk's not life changing either. Um, my question to you, get back on track here. My question to you is, so we got three areas, relational, conflict, depression, and anxiety. This is like, remember when you were a kid and you read those books where you would, at the end of the page, you would say, well, if you, if you go through the hall, through the creepy door, then turn to page 78. If you walk out, you know, those choose your own adventure books, for the record, every time I chose one, I didn't get very far into it and I died. I chose things that took me to my death, right? Fortunately, no choices here will take you to your death. But you guys get to have a choose-your-own sermon book, right? A choose-your-own sermon Sunday. And uh, you get to tell me uh, by vote, by vote, by, by my sense of uh, you, you sharing with me what you want to hear. I've got three sermons. I have three sermons here. Since we got through the first sermon done, I, got, I wrote three more, okay? We don't have time to do all three. I know that. So my question is, do you want to hear, do you want to talk more about relational conflict? Do you want to talk more about depression or anxiety? So just by a show of hands or, or just say, hey, hey, me, that's me. Or, you know, hey, I want to talk about that. You know, I need to know what your thoughts are. And I can't, I can't know if you're just staring at me. Okay. So with that in mind, who, who here would say, Let, let's talk more about relational conflict. I want, we need to visit about that subject a little bit. Uh, anyone? Anyone? There was a couple in first hour. What that tells me, John, is we need to hit this subject like right before Thanksgiving. And then the, every hand will go up and be like, yeah, I'm going to go see that uncle I don't want to see. Let's, uh, let's talk about that then. But no one today. Okay, fine. What about depression? Anyone saying, hey, depression, that's an issue. That Let's deal with that. Anyone? Okay, I see a couple, a couple of hands. There's a couple of hands. Depression. Okay, what about anxiety? Any, any hands for... Far more for anxiety than depression. You were like the first hour people. The first hour people wanted me to talk on anxiety. Or, or I, that's, that's, a, that's a nice phrase. I don't know that you want me to talk about it, but you, you were forced to choose something. So you chose anxiety, right? So let's go right into that and let's hit it very quickly. In verse 6, uh, Paul is writing and he says, finally, brothers. Oh, that's in verse 8. Verse 6, he says, do not be what? Help me. Anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Friends, this time that I'm sharing, I, I hope, my prayer is that you don't experience me as being condescending. 
or judgmental or rude or mean-spirited, okay? Uh, what I want to do is I want to approach this subject honestly, though, where we're at. And, and, and so if you experience any of those things, please let me know because I don't mean to come across this way at all. I don't mean to come across that way at all. I'm just trying to be honest. And those of you who know me know that I have honesty in spades, uh, sometimes too much honesty. Reality is this. We are stressed out. Our community is stressed out. And here's how I know that. I know that statistically, I I have not looked at any of your medical records, right? I don't know that. But statistically, probably about 60% of us are taking anxiety medications. And can I just say this? And uh, hear me. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying this. But I'm saying this. That's not right. It's not right. If I have to get through life If I have to get through life by popping a little pink pill every day, if I have to get through life by popping a blue pill or a yellow pill or whatever, a little octagonal shaped pill every day just to make it through the next day, there is something wrong and something is broken. And here's the problem. And again, hear me, this is not an anti-med talk, okay? Uh, Because I think medicine is like Band-Aids. They are needed at times. And I'll give you an example in just a moment why I'm not, I'm not telling you to quit taking your meds because that could be the worst thing then, right, Tammy? If I just say, stop your meds today, right? Then all of a sudden we see terrible, terrible things. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying this. If you're sitting there going, my anti-anxiety medication is going to get me through life for the next five years, that's incorrect. Because what you're going to do is you're going to need more pills down the road, higher dosages. Because what you're taking right now is not going to be working in five years from now. Your body's not going to be responding to it the way it does now. And so, so what I argue is those pills are like Band-Aids. They're meant to help you get through this season in order for you to deal with the root. The root. Here's my example. I, you know, I, I, I just believe that to the best of our ability, we need to do everything we possibly can to be drug-free. And so a year ago, uh, a little bit over a year ago, because I was wrestling with my doctors, about a year and a half ago, I go to my yearly physical, and he tells me you have high blood pressure. My, and that's something that's not a shock. My mom had high blood pressure. My brothers have high blood pressure. This is something from the time I was in my 20s I dealt with. I was always on the cusp, right? I was always on the edge. And I just said, responded going, well, here's what I'm dealing with. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I think you caught me on a bad day. I don't think I have high blood pressure. I think it's just a bad day. So it took 40 days of me investing in a cuff and having pressures read for three days, three times a day. And I showed up 40 days later back to my doctor and I gave him all the numbers. And he's like, well, what do you think? And I said, I think I have high blood pressure right now, you know? And I read even, to make me feel better, I read an article, that several articles actually, that said that people with high muscle, high muscle, a lot of muscle in their body, they usually have higher blood pressure because that, that's just more dense than flabby fat, right? And so, so that muscle makes it a little harder. So me and Lou Ferrigno and Schwarzenegger, that's why they cut, because they were having high blood pressure. So I, so I was like, I think I have high blood pressure. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't want to die. I know that. I don't want to have a heart attack or, or blow a vein in the next year or two. I want to live to see my son graduate, you know. So I want to fix this. I want to deal with this. So he prescribed me, he prescribed me a couple of meds and a couple of small meds to begin the process. And in that, pro- in that same time, I said this. I said, you know, Doc, I realize 
that, yeah, for many people, they have to, when they're in their 70s, 80s, 90s, they have to take a handful of pills. And that might be me, but I want to do everything I can to, for that not to be me. And so I, I said, this next year, I'm going to be working to cut weight, to start doing some changes in my workout, to get it where I can be off of the pills, be off of the pills, and, uh, and, and, and get better there. And so I am in the process. I've cut some weight this summer. I am uh, beginning a, uh, or started and doing, not just beginning, but I'm actually changing it up a little bit more to increase some cardio in order so that this next year I can be totally off of the meds. Um, that is, that's my goal. Not because those medications are, are evil, but because I just am convinced those are Band-Aids and what I need to do is figure out what the root is to deal with that so that I am free of meds. And so I share that with you saying that so many of us, we're looking at our anxiety. And for the record, what is anxiety? Anxiety, here's the clinical definition of it. Anxiety is looking to the future or looking at the world around you, seeing the worst case scenario, and here's the clinical word now, ready? And freaking out about it, right? That's, that's the definition for me of, of what anxiety is. Anxiety is looking at what you're dealing with and going, oh my gosh, the ship is sinking and, and we're in trouble now and it's nothing going to be doom and gloom and I don't know what to do and you freak out over it. And so your anxiety skyrockets and af after you have enough of those days strung together, then you go to your doctor because you just can't cope any long, longer and you say, give me something that numbs the pain. And, and that's what happens. And again, if you take that to help you Deal with the, the stress and the pain of that moment while you're dealing with what's causing that anxiety. Awesome. That's what needs to happen. But for so many of us, we feel the instant relief and we just say, I'm going to live with this for the rest of my life. And there's, there's a problem there. There's a problem. Paul gives us a cure. And he says, he says to us, he, goes, he says what? When, instead of being anxious, don't be anxious, but instead pray. Pray about what? Everything. But here's the deal. I realize that there are some people that would say, many people would say, Tony, that's your Christian. That's, yeah, that's the, that's the answer for everything. Prayer, 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 prayer. Prayer doesn't change anything. I've tried to pray and it didn't help. Well, Paul adds a caveat here. And, and I have met people that have said, hey, I tried to pray and I didn't feel any, any change in my anxiety. Well, but Paul says this. He says, pray with thanksgiving. You see, some of us who are anxious ridden, we say, I've tried to pray, but it didn't help. Well, no, because your prayer was this, God, I'm so frustrated. I'm so frustrated. God, just make it better. Make it better. Just make this better. God, just take me out of this pain. And when he doesn't take you out of that pain within the first 15 minutes after your prayer, you throw your hands up and you say, oh, this is no good. This is just a waste of my time. And what Paul says is don't just pray where you're focused about how bad life is and you're focused about how terrible things are and asking God to throw you a lifeline or a life jacket or a lifeboat, but instead go to God with thanksgiving. Figure out things to be thankful for in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your anxiousness, and begin. Let those things that you're thankful for lead you in your prayer time. And let's see what difference will be made as a result of that. 
You realize there's been studies done about people who have gone to God faithfully day in, day out with prayer, and they've seen that their cortisol levels, levels have literally been lowered. Cortisol is a thing that causes worry, causes uh, depression, causes lethargy, causes uh, anxiety to override us, right? And, and we've, we actually see there is scientific data that shows that prayer changes your body physiologically. And Paul knew this 2,000 years ago. To pray, the key to pray is pray with a thanksgiving heart to figure out what to be thankful for. Why? Because God is our trust and he is our treasure. Trust, a trust fund is something in which you have security, you have standing in life. If you have a trust, you know, we've heard that, those trust fund baby, right? And we always look with dismay on trust fund babies. We always, we, we look upon them and judge them. Why? Why do we do that? Because we're not trust fund babies. But you know what? If I could be a trust fund baby, I would in a heartbeat. I would in a heartbeat to know that I have resources incredible to take care of any problem that I have, to know that anything, any kind of situation I find myself in, I'm going to have a ton of resources to deal with that. The reality is no matter who you are, if you are in Christ, you have the greatest trust and present. You have the Lord of hosts at your side. You have the angelic army calling upon, to call upon to defend you at any time. You have the right and the privilege of knowing that one day you will be in heaven with the living God and you will be called to come and sup with him at an eternal feast, a heavenly feast that will be like anything that any pagan uh, uh, religion could offer their people. I'm telling you, you have an incredible trust. And so you, 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 stop. Stop with the anxiety because God is your trust and he is your treasure. All the resources, all the resources that God has are yours. And he's just waiting for you to take them in your hands. And we can have confidence in this. And we can have confidence in where we are at today, no matter what. You might, be, you might be a person that you're popping all sorts of pills because of your anxiety. I want you to still take heart and not feel like you're less than because you find yourself in that role. Rather, take heart because Paul knew something. You see, we discover the last verse, the last uh, several verses, we discover some things about the Philippian church. We figure out that Paul deeply loves these people because one of the reasons was because so they, were, they supported Paul. They were generous with Paul. They shared their resources with him when no one else would. And Paul knew something about uh, that he was confident that he could share with him. In verse 19, Paul says, knowing that the, of their generosity and their support and their kindness and their encouragement, despite all their flaws, despite their sin, despite their anxious thoughts that they had that he had to talk about, despite their depression that they dealt with, despite the fact that people were at war with one another in that church, Paul says in verse 19, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that his God would supply all their needs because the gospel proclaims that God is a generous God, that he's a generous leader, that he's a generous king, that he's a generous father. And hear this, I can say it to you clearly and I can say it to you confidently. I know that my God will supply every need that you have today. 
And he will do it in a way that is better than you can plan for yourself. He will supply your needs in a way that you will never understand or you will never see the dots sometimes. But God will take care of it and take care of you. Don't take my word for it. I challenge you. If you are walking away a doubt or if you're saying, yeah, those are great words, Tony, in a perfect world. If you doubt me, then wrestle with God for, about this truth for your own life and look to his provision. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and God, we choose, we choose right now to cast our anxiety upon you, God. Lord, we confess we live in ancient or we, we live in, in, in times of anxiety, in anxious moments. But God, it seems to me that in the same way, the Philippians were terrified that the Scythians were going to come and behead every one of them. And the, those people that lived in Paul's day were, knew that, that there was a disease just waiting to plague them, that even five or so years after the writing of this, there was the Cyprian plague that killed off 25% of the Roman Empire. So they dealt with disease in greater ways than we do. And Lord, we understand that people in Paul's day knew that any time an emperor could be installed and that their faith could be outlawed and they could be chained and taken to a prison. So God, I guess as I'm reading your word, I realize the people that were living in that day had incredibly anxious moments also. And you told them to cast their anxiety on you, to pray with thanksgiving, and life would be different. And so we trust that statement, and we trust you, God. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.